0: we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello, my name is Alan Collins. I'm the partner who heads up the abuse team at Hugh James. Welcome to our latest podcast brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. And I'm joined by my colleagues, Kathleen Halsey Hi, Kathleen.
1: Hi, Alan.
0: And we also have... Hannah Hodson. Hi Hannah. Hi Alan. So once again welcome to our latest podcast brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. Before we get underway I always need to give the health warning in the sense that obviously in these podcasts we talk about sensitive matters which can be distressing. So if you think you're going to be upset in any way by listening to this podcast, now's the time to switch off, go and make yourself a cup of tea or do something else. Because in this podcast, we are going to be talking about a recent um, media report, which is concerned about the disturbing amounts of sexual abuse occurs in children hospital units. So obviously what we're going to be talking about is unpleasant. So as I said, if you're going to be upset by any part of this podcast, now's the time to turn away. But having said that, I hope you're going to stay with us. So in this podcast, we're going to be talking about media report which focuses on allegations of abuse at Taplow Manor in Berkshire. I'm going to get Hannah to Give us a little bit of the backdrop and some of the context for this particular podcast. So over to you, Hannah.
2: Yeah, so thanks Alan. So um as you've just introduced, we are going to be speaking about sexual abuse that has been revealed very disturbingly a high number of sexual abuse that's been occurring in various different children's hospital units. So over the past four years, it has been revealed that there's been 2,875 sexual incidents and assaults reported to England's Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services. Alarmingly, 57% of these reports have come from Taplow Manor. Taplow
0: Manor is a hospital, uh maidenhead and it's got 59 beds so it's quite a smallish mental health hospital as i understand it
2: yeah so it's a tier 4 child and adolescent mental health hospital um, specifically for young people aged between 12 and 18 years old who are diagnosed with mental health conditions So, there has been 1,643 sexual incident reports since 2019, and these are sexual incidents involving both staff members and other patients at the hospital. So, when we're talking about sexual incidents, we are talking about all incidents ranging from sexualized comments to rape so obviously it's a very alarming amount of reports there should be absolutely no reports at all in any hospital let alone a child's hospital so this is you know extremely concerning
0: yeah and what is also of great concern is the fact that from in our experience of dealing with these cases this is not an isolated situation is it? it's not an isolated report because over the years um, we've dealt with lots of cases where a vulnerable young person who is in a specialist unit has been subjected to physical emotional sexual abuse earlier this week i was up in yorkshire on a a case up there that um has been in the media very recently where there are allegations that very vulnerable young adults have been subjected to abuse and I'm sure you'll agree with me, Kathleen, in your experience, you have dealt with, no doubt, similar cases over the years where vulnerable young adults in specialist units have been subjected to abuse.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's you know, particularly disturbing about these cases is we're talking about some of the most vulnerable people in our society. We're talking about children, of course, incredibly vulnerable, but added to that, children who have some type of mental health difficulty. And, you know, it's a big step for a child to be placed into a mental health unit. And so it is somebody who is incredibly vulnerable and and is therefore being taken advantage of by the very people who are meant to care for them.
0: Yes, and of course, we have to deal with the practical side of these cases when these cases are brought to our attention by the parents or whoever is um, responsible for the child and the immediate concern is the fact that these young adults and children very often cannot communicate you know their disabilities are such that they are unable to speak they may not be able to comprehend you know a recent case the young person concerned was able to use a little bit of very sort of rudimentary sign language, sort of mm. sort of say, well, I, I want some food, but but that was it. Um, yeah. This young person was unable to communicate in any shape or form the experiences or her feelings as a result of you know what had happened to him. We know that she'd been abused because it come to light through whistleblowing, and very often in these cases we find that the abuse stays under the radar and runs the risk of staying under the radar forever and ever unless someone comes forward and effectively, I guess, whistleblows.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was I was going to mention that, Alan, about, you know, we're relying on somebody's decency and kind of moral compass to come forward and and tell people what they've seen if if they've seen some of these incredibly vulnerable children being abused when they are nonverbal or they have no other way of communicating what's happening to them. Frightening to think about how often that could be happening now and has happened in the past where, you know, somebody hasn't come forward and and children have been abused. I was thinking about in in these cases involving Taplow Manor, it appears that actually the situation was that staff were actually telling the patients who were coming forward and saying abuse has been happening to stop talking about it and we're actually silencing them. So in this case, we have a different situation, equally horrific, where, you know, patients are, in fact, coming forward and saying this has happened to me, but being told by staff to keep quiet.
2: Just to add to that, Kathleen, I know a lot of victims at Tapo Manor who have come forward have said that it was, that was exactly how it was. It was almost the culture. It was as though the staff, you know, were making them feel because they had mental health issues that they almost deserved it and Mm -hmm. they were believing it and they did think that if they came forward no one would believe them or maybe they did somehow deserve it because of their health issues which is you know just makes this even more disgusting
0: and i think what we all struggle with is how people who are there to care look after very responsible positions sort of transform into abusers i struggle to understand how someone can actually behave like that.
1: I do think though, you know, as was I think pointed out by a an expert that was interviewed for one of these articles, was that these positions do unfortunately attract predators. And you know, we can't understand it and understand why how anybody could behave in that way because obviously we don't think in those terms, but people who are predators are going to seek out situations and employment situations where they can have power and control over some of the vul- most vulnerable people and and abuse with impunity, really.
0: Yes, and of course, in the background, we've got these state bodies that are supposed to oversee these um, places. You know, you've got Ofsted, you've got the Care Quality Commission, and we have seen that these sort of hospitals and institutions they're given a clean bill of health, and then all of a sudden, they hit the headlines. With all these terrible, horrific allegations, and whether it's Ofsted or the Care Quality Commission, have gone back in and discovered what has been going on, and closed these institutions down effectively, um, sort of overnight, so to speak, and everyone has to be rehoused and sent off to new hospitals or or whatever. So you know, enormous upheaval, mm-hmm. which sort of begs the question: Well, if you inspected, you know, relatively recently. And gave this place a clean bill of health. How did that happen?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's obviously been in the news quite a bit lately about issues around Ofsted and inspections. And we've seen, you know, where there might be an inspection where a school is rated outstanding. And then 10 years later, there's the next inspection, which is obviously a problem with the system. But I was just thinking generally about how to deal with an issue like that. And I think it does bring us back to the issue of mandatory reporting, which Mm. Alan, you, you know, obviously are a huge proponent of and campaign tirelessly for. If you had mandatory reporting in these situations than anybody who did see abuse and we're not relying on a whistleblower or somebody who has a strong moral compass to come forward. There would be a actual legal imperative for them to do so, for them to report what's happening. Exactly. It's a no brainer. Yeah,
2: I think talking you know. specifically about Tapo Manor, though, through the reports that we've seen, according to the data that there was actually various reports of, of concern that sexual abuse was happening. And again, like as you said, Alan, like why did this continue to happen if there were reports? And I think maybe it does go back to what we mentioned on how predators, sorry, do seek out vulnerable people and situations. And maybe there is like question marks that need to be raised when recruiting staff members for these types of institutions, because if it's happening by these people, it's not going to be prevented by these people. And I guess that makes it very difficult to to stop it.
1: Well,
0: I don't know. You see, because mandatory reporting, I think will help to change culture. I can remember, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 years ago, there was a a similar sort of hospital down in Hampshire for very um, disabled youngsters. A member of staff there was sexually abusing the youngsters. He ended up going to prison, but that's a separate issue. But he was doing it quite openly. And because these youngsters weren't in a position to shout, complain, protest, whatever because of their you know the extent of their disabilities Mm -hmm. and as I said he was doing what he was doing very openly and the boss knew but she couldn't bear to see what was going on and so she put the blinkers on she made the conscious decision I don't want to know Mm -hmm. I can't bear it very sort of human reaction but a complete abdication of responsibility
2: yeah
0: but this so-called member of staff was only shopped to the police when he was spotted abusing a child by the cleaner, you know, someone at the bottom end of the employment food chain. And um, she saw what she saw, and she went straight to the police and complained about it. And that's how his abuse came to light. But that case just demonstrated that the culture was all wrong in mm. that particular institution. Whilst mandatory reporting, is not some 100% panacea, it would have the benefit, I think, of changing the culture. And we know that because it works in other countries and that's why they have mandatory reporting. So, yeah, I think, as you say, Kathleen, I think this case just highlights in itself ample reasons why there should be a law in this country that says if you have concerns, you report it to the police.
1: Yeah. But I think, you know, as we've talked about before, that it can't just be that you report it. There has to be some type of, unfortunately, I think a stick situation where if you fail to report, there is some liability that attaches to you from kind of a criminal criminal and or civil point of view. Because I, I don't think, unfortunately, as you've just highlighted in the case that you've just mentioned where the kind of head of staff knew what was going on but couldn't deal with it, you unfortunately can't rely on people to just do the right thing. You do have to. Say, look, if you're not going to do the right thing, then there is going to be a consequence for you. Yeah.
0: So, what is absent so often in these dreadful cases is a complete absence of accountability. And we've seen this particularly with some of the big scandals over the years where people haven't done their jobs properly, but they stay in post. There's no, there's no consequence, and they still carry on doing their supposed safeguarding duties. You know, whereas, you know, it's extraordinary that these people have clearly failed big time but there's never a consequence
2: yeah I completely agree and it's sad that it, it has to come to that that you can't just rely on like good nature of people to come forward but yeah it's, it's definitely the only way I mean just talking about culture in relation to Tableau Manor I know when this did come to light it was still like no ownership and they came out and said well actually the amount of numbers reported actually showed signs of that. Be- best practice, you know, trying to like somehow indicate that it did mean that they had a safe culture. And it, it just, again, demonstrates how there is like completely no ownership and responsibility taken by these people.
1: No, absolutely.
0: Well, anyone out there who has been listening to our podcast today and thinks that we've got a good point about mandatory reporting, tell your MP.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> because they're the ones who can change the law. Be entirely candid, I'm not convinced that a lot of MPs actually understand. So they need to be told time and time again well, actually, do you know that there's in the UK, there isn't a law that says that this sort of they must be reported.
1: I was just on a call this morning where someone said to me, oh, but don't we have mandatory reporting mm-hmm. now? Uh, you know, just a member of, you know, member of the public. But I think people really don't know that we don't have mandatory reporting laws in this country. And I think that that probably includes MPs. Yeah, so, wow. yeah.
0: Yeah. So the MPs that I've spoken to don't seem to appreciate it. They just think it's all about sending people to prison for longer. Well, you know, that's that's not the issue so you know what we're talking about is actually um getting this stuff reported in the first
1: place yeah absolutely i think as most things that we talk about Mm -hmm. on this podcast alan as you say i mean mandatory reporting is really the solution it's not a you know foolproof it's not 100 percent, but it is a big part of the solution to a lot of the issues that we talk about and that we see so it has to happen
0: dear podcast listener Pen and paper or email, email your MP and say, what are you doing about mandatory reporting? Exactly. So on that note, thank you for listening and joining us. As always, if you have any thoughts or comments, please do get in touch with us. Until next time, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Kathleen and it's goodbye from Hannah.
1: Thanks, Alan. See you guys next week. Bye, Alan. Bye, Kathleen.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk